We're back with episode two of Zero On Air. My name's Graham Brown. Joined today by Kevin Fitzgerald, an entrepreneur and special guest, Jun Shan Lee, better known as Jonah, founder of Movers and Funnel. And in this episode, we discuss how founders can easily implement hacks, tips, financial discipline in their businesses using zero reports without needing to be an accountant. And many owners, you see, get stuck growing their businesses because they aren't clear about the numbers. And a good reporting system combined with clear metrics can help us business owners better understand the reality of the financial situation and also which activities contribute most and least to the bottom line. Coming up. Right, we're back in the home of beautiful business, Zero. On Cross Street, Singapore, it's Graham here, joined by familiar face and voice of Kevin Fitzgerald. Kevin, welcome back. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. It's great to have you here. And we're joined by a partner and customer of Zero as well, Jonah Lee from Movers. Right. Welcome. Thank you. And you're a bit of a a character, a familiar face here in Singapore. I mean it in a good way. You've got got so many different um, projects on the go. Right. And an interesting background, so we're going to dive into that as well. Okay. And even though you run a relatively large business as well, and you're involved very much on the investment side, building a platform, Funnel, which people are probably familiar with here in Singapore. Right. And you enjoy small business and its challenges as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that and dive in. Kevin, maybe you can help us understand the challenges of small business, because I know we're in the world where we call them startups now. Mm. They get the trendy moniker, but they still have very much fundamental challenges. And you sat all over the world working with small businesses and understanding their pain. Mm. So maybe you can do a little preface first. And if you could summarize us, what, what is the frustration of the small business? I think it's, um, it's quite a few things, okay? And I, th- I think it starts also from the the importance of um, running and owning a small business. And it's, it's generally a, a family um, business are related to a family and a family has a lot of reliance on the, the success of the business. So there's a lot of passion in it. Mm. And I've been fortunate enough to be under the hood of a lot of small businesses as an accountant, you know, helping them with all their finances and bookkeeping, accounting, tax, corpsec, you name it. Um, and that goes back 20 years. But one thing that I really um, have come to terms with as I've experienced working in different nations is that the, the challenges are quite similar, no matter where you are. Um, and I think the biggest one that, that people struggle with is, is cash flow. And part of that is not only understanding cash flow, but also what are the, what are the solutions to it? You know, and it's not just cloud accounting. It's, it's kind of what's the best practice around getting paid. Mm. Um, secondary to that, I think, is the administrative burdens that small businesses face. I, I hate doing admin. It's probably the thing that raises my stress levels of like, Absolutely. oh my God, I've got this list of stuff to do. Whereas yeah. I want to get on and grow the business and talk to people and make sure the team are okay and make sure customers are okay. But small businesses have to do that. They don't have enough people to share out the, the administrative burden. And that can be business administration as well as regulatory administration, tax companies, you know, secretarial, um, I guess, requirements as well. And I think the third that I've I've really noticed is talent and expansion. Yeah, you know, like if you're a small business with with ten people and you add one person, um, that's almost ten percent of your business. You know, it's a big risk, and it, it takes time, and it's also convincing somebody to come work in a small business. They've got to be passionate about it. 
Yeah, especially here in Singapore where you're competing with Facebook, Stripe, Zero. Yeah. Even. Yeah. 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 These people can pay good money. Yeah, we try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that in mind, let's introduce Jonah. So you're the co-founder and CEO of Movers. Yeah. We'll talk about what Movers is in a minute. Your background as well. Right. You are the founder, co-founder of Funnel. Right. And you have a, a very interesting history in, in restaurants as well, right. which is like the most small business of small businesses yeah, exactly. beset by all those challenges that Kevin just talked about. So right. maybe we can take it all the way back. How would you describe yourself? Are you an entrepreneur in your blood? Mm. You know, where does all that come from? Mm. I think like, so my, my parents are actually teachers. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, definitely did not come from the family. <laughs> it's, it's common in Asia, right? Whereby, you know, you, family businesses, you inherit the business and naturally your father, um, as you followed him to his business meetings, you, you inherit that. But I guess like for me, I've always been a little bit, uh, mischievous, I guess. Yeah. Like my favorite. Like character in the Avengers is Loki, so <laughs> yeah. so right. yeah, that describes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. he's but, the bad one, right? Uh, no, yeah, he's misunderstood. Misunderstood. <laughs> that is the so, word. Okay. But, we like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I don't know. Like, uh, um. So I I, I studied finance in uh, the uh, local university in the National University of Singapore. Um. I graduated in two thousand eight. Right. It's kind of like smack in the middle of the great financial crisis. Mm, so mm. yeah. So for. I guess my batchmates and I, that is, is a real like awakening whereby I start questioning, Hey, like, what am I doing? And is this really, um, where this is all going, right? Especially career wise. Uh, in Singapore, I think guys, we have this unique situation whereby we serve the army mm. for two years. So naturally, when you graduate, you feel, um, anxiety because you feel you're two years behind your female compatriots. So how old would you be when you're in the world of work after wow, the 24, 25? Yeah, 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 thereabouts, exactly. So it, it's a whole mishmash of that. And then, um, so for people like me, I try to calculate my expected returns, right? So yeah. <laughs> if I, okay, let's say I pursue a career and, um, okay, banking is not going to be it because it's, you know, it's, it's a financial crisis, right? So they're not hiring. Um, yeah, then what, what will it be? So, um, yeah, I started a cafe together with like a friend from, the school of engineering also from the business school yeah and uh, that was in i think year two sem two yeah so uh we started it because low barriers to entry right and everybody understands food and i guess like uh there's a certain romanticism about like uh fb business mm. especially cafes right serving mm -hmm. like gourmet coffee and premium grills and what have you okay so we started it yeah and uh to our horror <laughs> like uh, yeah cash was a problem Right, yeah, because I mean, we're like two young punks, right? We don't really, right. we don't have deep pockets, yeah. So managing it in creative ways uh, turned out to be the reason we survived. And we survived long enough to figure out certain problems and then we were able to scale, I think, over the past like 10 years. Okay, so yeah. help me understand, how can cash be a problem when you're getting paid in cash? Um, right, so as a small business, like um, while we receive money in cash but if you're receiving credit cards you get paid later mm. yeah but if you're a small business and your supplies are new to you they receive money in cash yeah so if you talk about inventory management like i have to buy like the vegetables and the meat up front store in the fridge and then sell it to you yeah so i actually take money after <laughs> yeah a lot of my 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 you know my cost of goods sold yeah. basically yeah so it, it 
I, I think like as a small business, that problem wasn't uh, very obvious. But as we grew, yeah, the problem accentuated. Uh, basically, became a lot more obvious. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then like a typical of like uh, F and B businesses in Singapore, we're talking about very tight margins. Yeah, whereby rental is uh, features very heavily, manpower is expensive and tough to find. Yeah, and yeah, it's, a, it's basically a very harsh business to operate in Singapore. Food retail, right? Yeah, there's food distribution, but that's a different. It's one of the hardest. Model. But did you learn lessons which you can now take to, for example, like you were the co-founder of Cash Shield, which right. is a big data analytics company, for example. Right. How, how do you see the parallels there? You're right. selling, you know. Uh, concepts really to right. large corporations as opposed to selling sandwiches to people <laughs> coffee right yeah. is there a similarity what did you learn in those early days um so business model wise like a uh, food retail would be pretty much traditional if you look at cashew uh we have b2b SaaS. yeah so basically um, very very high margins but uh, very long sales cycles yeah so uh, cash management in that front would uh, mean that hey like i i know that Customers are like a, a dime a dozen and we work with large corporations. Yeah. And I must be able to manage like uh, the cash flows for call it six months to a year mm. before my client comes. Yeah. But once the client comes in, then, you know, it's, uh, it's high repeat and it's chunky. Yeah. So, you know, like managing the cash flow for that entire year becomes like a, a very real thing to us. Yeah. And I guess like also working in a traditional company, like, uh, um, highlights like, um, the different business models, especially when you're talking about software as a service. Mm. Yeah. How can that, uh, how that can be extremely scalable in the, in the longer run. Yeah. But in the shorter, uh, time frame. Yeah, they're talking about very heavy R and D cost, right? Mm. Yeah, because large corporations, uh, corporations are not going to work with us until our product has a certain level of sophistication. Mm. Yeah, so it's entirely different business models, but starting from a very harsh operating environment, which is F and B in Singapore. Yeah, like kind of opened my eyes to the importance of like uh, proper cash management. Yeah, great training. Yeah. The basics. Yeah. Was it? Was there a moment or a, you know, a situation that you went? we're in a bit of trouble here and we're in a bit of strife in terms yeah. of our cash flow. Like what, apart from the obvious, you know, maybe negative balance in the bank account, but right. what else was there? I don't know. That sounds like my everyday life. <laughs> but, but, so I would say that, that that forms a very big part of it. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So like uh, this would, not be the first startup. Uh, MoveUs yeah. will not be the first startup that uh, I guess like uh, I, I've worked uh, in. Yeah, so uh, it's with like a, maybe like many years of experience of managing cash flows and uh, feeling the pain of um, you know not having proper accounts, for example. Yeah, and so MoveUs is, is definitely in a better position than I guess like when we first started some of our other projects. Um, bookkeeping very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like uh, uh, I remember in the earlier days we just had no visibility on what was happening in the, uh, in the business in terms of numbers. We knew we were selling, right? But we just didn't know what uh, each dollar that we sell for meant. Yeah, And sometimes while we are selling and working really hard of it, the more we scale, the more we lose. Hmm. Yeah, and like, yeah, so not having real-time numbers yeah, creates a lot of that pressure. And at the end of month, it's like, hey, oh, wow, you know, like, this turned out to be a really bad call, right? Mm. And yeah, and we just ramped it for 30 days. Can you go back to that point? I think it's really interesting about yeah. what each dollar means right. like that you sell. Maybe Kevin, you can sort of help us understand mm. the, the, the architecture of that or the science behind it, if you like. Right. Because I think this is a really interesting point. You can kid yourself that you're doing really well, right. but you actually might be losing money. So yeah. help us understand this point. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess like in my world, um, if you compare like, uh, like A and B, right? So in the traditional business, typically I have like, uh, I don't know, I like buy vegetables, I buy meat, I know how much it costs me in total. And then like I layer like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to earn like 
10, 20% from this, right? And therefore I need to sell at this price. Mm. So that's like one business model, right? Um, but if you kind of like turn it around, you look at tech business, right? Whereby we are funded by uh, investors who uh, oftentimes the, the conversation is, hey, you know, if you are not red, you're not growing fast enough, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, growing top line, right? Improving volumes, improving that the market will pay you money for the service becomes like a, the key objective uh, in our day-to-day lives, right? Yeah. So um, the bottom line kind of doesn't become the primary objective anymore. Yeah. It's not so much about um, net profits, right? It's about, hey, growing revenues, right? Having more and more customers, um, realizing larger economies of scale and clout and therefore, you know, increasing our negotiating power and what have you. Yeah. So when all I is a focus on growing top line, so selling basically, right? Earning more and more money. Um, sometimes, like on our books, um, based on our hypothesis, our calculations, we said, hey, maybe we're gonna break even, right? For every dollar I sell, um, yeah, I'm, it's gonna cost me a dollar in total, mm. right? But at the end of like two months, when you know all the other miscellaneous cost comes in, suddenly I realize that hey, to earn that one dollar, it cost me three, yeah. right? That's very bad business, right? And I just earned like a million dollars. Right. So you just <laughs> so, lost three. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Right. And you only find that out uh, when you're too deep in. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's the, that's year one in a small business, isn't it? It's kind of learning on what, what's the, the metrics of the business. And it, I find it interesting because you, you studied accounting. <laughs> exactly. Right? So you, you've kind of got a leg up where you're ahead of the general population who start a small business that don't have the fundamentals of, of accounting. Right. And still it got you into exactly. a situation where it's like, oh my God, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I, th- I used to see that with, with business owners that I worked with when I was an accountant. Um, and it was like, they were making money in terms of their bank account had a positive balance. They had more money than they had before. Right. But the slingshot effect of the reality of paying all the bills and collecting all the money hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And that's when you take them to the profit and loss. Right. You know, and it's as simple as understanding, well, what, what's the net? What are you left with at the end of the day? Um, and I, I used to have questions of, well, why does that net profit not equal what's in my bank account? And it's a timing thing, right? So you haven't been paid yet. Some things are, you know, scheduled like capital spend over a few years, so it doesn't hit there straight away. But you might have spent, you know, fifty thousand dollars on machinery, but only ten ten of it is reflected in the P and L for tax purposes. So right. there's a real gap in the the education and understanding of how you get to that point of understand the return on every dollar that you spend. First step is how much does it cost us to turn on the lights <laughs> right. to come to work? Like we have a we have a commitment to all of our staff here as well and our landlord to to pay the bills straight away. So if we don't earn any money this month, we still have a pretty big bill. Right. You know, and I think that's a real eye opener in the first year of businesses. And I think that's why a lot of um smaller businesses fail in the in the first six to nine months. Like it's they, that catches up with them. That slingshot effect of the timing of payments really catches them, um, catches them out. And I think with what you've done is you've gone through maybe a journey where you've seen um, this happen, you've learned from it, you've put some plans in place, and, and sometimes going big is not the, the answer, you know, and more revenue is not the answer. It's really interesting, though, when you have an investor who just wants to see, are you growing top line? That's, that's really interesting. You know, because therefore you're getting thought to focus on that and you're mm. not looking at the rest of the business. Um, and it's something that we even experience here at Zero, like we're looking at revenue growth. How do we make sure that our cost doesn't follow that curve? You know, it's, and it's, it's something for all of us, you know, not just small business as well. Is there something 
and I speak for small business owners that, you know, like a tool and obviously zero, but Mm -hmm. like what would be the number? Because you're talking about profit and loss, which is done as a trailing indicator, right? Which is then takes time to calculate. Obviously the only real metric we have on a day-to-day basis is cash in the bank. Do I have enough to pay everybody this month and pay the landlord? That that's kind of the small business F and B world that we come from, right? As a yeah. hustling entrepreneur. But if I was to look at any of my numbers, how can I get close to that? Because I think what you're trying to say is that you can easily kid yourself that you're doing really well, but you've got these trailing, you know, these payments that haven't been made. And there's a real danger, isn't it, when you grow top line? Mm. They say that your your most dangerous year is. The, the year following your most successful one, yeah. right? Because, you you know, you hire a lot of people, the cost ramps up and so on. So what can we do? Is there a sort of a starting point, a number that we can look at? I, think, I, I don't think it's one number. I think it's information and, and understanding. And I think that starts with having, you know, up-to-date information and, and getting the full picture before you start to, I guess, decipher what that, that story is telling you. Um, you know, at, at like the tools that are there in cloud accounting, will show you a dashboard or a very light kind of cash flow analysis. But for me as a, you know, the, the, the critical element of that is actually maybe getting some professional advice to understand that. And that's why we refer a lot of our small businesses to our accounting and bookkeeping partners because it mightn't be for an ongoing relationship, but it could be consulting to say, mm-hmm. hey, this is my business at the moment. This is the information. I've never studied accounting. Can you help me? What, what should I look out for? And in different businesses, there's different margin metrics to look out for, different cash flow kind of red flags that you should really look out for. So it's, I don't think it's just one thing. Mm. Um, and that's the complexity of a business, right? It's really getting under the skin of it and saying, well, what's happening here? And, you know, going into the year after you're most successful, you've you got to do some scenario planning. And I don't think the average, you know, man or woman on the street has the capability to do that. Like, that's why you go to an accountant. And you say, well, what would happen if I added one staff? Mm. And what would happen if my revenue dropped 10%? And what happened if this customer left? You know, and that's, that's information that's really rich. Like, and I've seen people in certain businesses, not F&B, think it's brilliant to have, to land a big fish customer. And they're like, this customer's brilliant. I love working with them. They give me loads of money. And then when they look under the hood, you say, hey, they're actually accounting for maybe 60% of your revenue what happens if something happens in the relationship and they don't like you anymore or a competitor comes in and completely undercuts you to a point where they loved the relationship with you, but they need to see a cost you yeah. know, reduction. So they go with someone else. And I've seen that happen. Um, people lose big customers in small business and they're like, whoa. Mm. And a lot of them would not be able to tell you the facts of how much revenue on a percentage basis they're getting from their customer base. Is there sort of numbers like that that you're conscious of, Jonah? I mean, do you mm. have like a, a a dashboard in front of you on a daily basis? I mean, I confess I haven't looked at the the bank account for a week because <laughs> I've been travelling. Right? Oh, come on! So, <laughs> anytime, anywhere, you can log yeah, in. Come yeah, on. Well, you know, I know I can, but I need the discipline of doing that, yeah, right? right? So. What do you do on a daily basis or a regular basis? Well, I, I check my bank account every day. Yeah, no, um, actually, I, I I don't check uh, the bank account every day, uh, but I do check my zero every day. Yeah, so um, uh, similar, I guess, like challenge uh, whereby uh, we spend a lot of time uh, not in the office, whereby we travel a lot, and therefore I think having something that's mobile friendly, mm. 
is really important. Yeah, because I don't have my laptop with me all the time. But I mm. definitely have my phone with me all the time. Yeah, and um, being able to um, get a snapshot of where we are standing, like uh, each and every day, uh, uh, to me, like, it's important because, like, if I look at it every, I don't know, end of month, right? It gives a snapshot, but it doesn't give me the context to how we ended up here. Mm. So I know how much cash I have left, but I don't know how we got there, right? Be it good or be it bad. Uh, and how, how can you tell by looking at your oh zero account? So, oh, I think the benefit is that I'm actually like a familiar with accounting. So yeah. Yeah, I will basically look at uh, networking capital, but yeah, which is basically current assets and current liabilities and what I'm paying and what I'm receiving, which is cash flow. But, um, I, I guess in a more simple way, basically, what am I paying out and what am I uh, receiving in, mm. right? What, uh, have I earned but, uh, not received payment for? Yeah. And what have I already like, um, paid for, but, uh, you know, the service is not done. Mm. Yeah. So there are these two components, uh, whereby, yeah, that, that being, I guess, a little bit more on top of what the delay and the spillover effect is like really helps me. Um, but on a more, I guess, like, um, macro basis. So every quarter, like uh, my partners and I get together and we look at some of the numbers. So I think exactly like Kevin shared, right? Hey, like I have like five departments. Right. And each department is generating a certain amount of revenue and each department is, you know, generating a certain amount of cost, right? Which department, just based on this very basic metric, is the most efficient, right? And if I have $10, right, which department should it go into? Right. Is it the sales department? It might not be. It might be the marketing department that's generating me leads. Mm. Right. So yeah. And if, yeah, maybe therefore eight bucks goes to the marketing department. And how do you know it's efficient? What would be the number that tells you it's efficient? Mm. Return on the capital effectively. Yeah. Right? So like maybe contribution margins. Like, okay. uh, yeah. So take like, uh, I don't know, revenue divided by cost. Right. It gives you like an, an inkling. It gives you a sensing, right? Of what it could mm. be. Uh, obviously there are many variables in, in business and, yeah, many things could happen and affect the numbers, but at least like on a on a broad basis, yeah, it gives you the clue that hey, um, this this department is efficient, uh, or this department is not efficient, and therefore, as a business owner, uh, where or, you know what kind of conversations should I have with with whom? Yeah, right? I wonder yeah. how many business owners actually know this. This is the interesting yeah, chance because well, you guys well, are accountants, exactly. You have that insight, right? and there's there's two terms that I bet if we walked out onto the street and said to 50 people, hey, do you know what networking capital is? <laughs> contribution margin? They would be like, no. Yeah. Why are you talking to me? You know, yeah. like it's, it's kind of like, well, and then, so how do you get that education? Right. Sometimes it's time in, in your own business and, and really understanding, but, you know, really getting the help as well. I think like, in, and having small business owners actually reach out and ask for the help and say, hey, this is the situation I'm in. Right. Who's there to help me? I've heard of this thing called networking capital. Right. You know, is that a banking term? <laughs> right. Like a lot of people, I think, is that, oh, that's the bank's job. Right. Yeah. But it's like, well, no, it's actually your business. Like if you can get a handle on what that metric should be, right. I think that's really powerful stuff. So actually, like zero question. Oh, mm. great. What is networking capital? <laughs> for for, for non-accountants, please explain. Because it sounds very important. I'm, I'm asking you a stupid question. I actually know the answer, but yeah. I'm doing it for everybody listening. So there's no interpretations. Objectively, what is it? I'm going to leave Kevin to explain. Ke- Kevin's <laughs> I, Okay. So, well, I look at it in, in two different ways. And networking capital for me is basically the energy that's in behind um, the finance that you have. When I think about working capital and networking capital, I'm looking at basically that slingshot effect of you've done the work, what have you got to get paid for later versus um, the money that you have gone out today. And right. that difference and that that metric or that number really has got to stay 
well, I think it's always got to be positive in a certain sense, um, but it's also got to be understood as to how, how can I increase that? Like, what's the difference? Mm. And when I start to pull apart networking capital, I also look at the metrics above it. And I say, well, what's, what's contributing to that? Like, you know, am I giving better payment terms to all my customers, but I'm not getting good payment terms from my suppliers? Because that all feeds it, you know, on that timing difference. So mm. for me, it's really around where, where's the risk in your timing of your business health between what you're paying out and what you're receiving. Fantastic. A great education. And from people actually living it as well you know that's the it's great to see with yourself Jonah as well that you're applying this and I think we can all learn a lot and I'm certainly mentally making a lot of notes of things I need to do when I get back to the office but I think this is the difference between simply trying to hustle your way up the curve which you can do to a point as an entrepreneur an optimist and a salesperson we're all salespeople, right? right you can get to a certain level of a startup, like the small business, but to get to the next stage, it needs the discipline. Right. Which obviously, Kevin, you know, you've mm -hmm. studied that as well. You understand the challenges and what happens, the, the pitfalls business owners fall into when they don't have that discipline. And they sort of stay at that level, don't they, forever. Yeah. And that's what we want to kind of like help people through to the next stage. I think it's teasing it out. I think sales makes people feel good. Yeah. And cause they like to forget about. You know, like, so it's like, I've, I've had a great week at the office. I've had a great week in the business. Oh, I've got to pay this bill. That doesn't matter yet. But that, that's the one that you should be looking at, you know, as, 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 as much as I think, obviously, the revenue coming in. Right. Um, you can control your costs probably more. You know, sales is an outcome of many things, but costs are a decision that you generally make yourself. All right, now it's time to get bombastic with our financial reporting. So Jonathan's going to share some insights with us into the kind of reports, the metrics, the north star of numbers that he uses to help grow the business and make better informed decisions. And Kevin's going to help unpack some of that and give us some ideas on the kind of reports we could use and how we should be using them on a daily basis inside our businesses. So we're standing here in the cafe of Zero, and Kevin and Jonah, I'm very pleased to learn that you both have a financial background. Tell us a little bit about like the worlds that you came from, also you know how that's changed as well, and what sort of disciplines it's instilled in you. Because I, I see, uh, maybe I speak for small business owners as well, a lot of us haven't come from that world. We are salesmen through and through, eternal optimists. So maybe with yourself, Kevin, I'm sorry, with yourself, Jonah, we'll cut that. So maybe with yourself, Jonah, um, your background, what did you qualify as in the early days? Mm, so I, I studied locally, uh, National University of Singapore uh, Business Administration, uh, studied finance. Yeah, and then like uh, subsequently graduated and worked in a financial institution. Yeah, so looking at numbers, like uh, what's my everyday thing? Yeah, I was, it was actually in a front office role, so um, understanding the numbers and then being able to communicate that with yeah. my clients was yeah something I had to do every day. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of training really helps because um, sometimes we get too absorbed in the numbers, right? And then there's a whole bunch of jargons, right? Like I think we were talking about like networking capital and, and contribution margins, but really like um, being able to elegantly put that across in a humanistically understandable language, I think very much like what Kevin did. Yeah. Um, it's very important, especially for client-facing roles. So uh, what 
that has done for me actually is like uh, you know in startups we work with many people right like uh, we have many partners and not all of whom come from a similar background yeah so being able to communicate that and communicate the importance of understanding that uh, has been like a, a fairly pivotal uh, to like uh, I guess the companies and the colleagues I've worked with yeah are you passionate both passionate about numbers seriously yeah. do you you are you say that with a smile on yeah, your face. Yeah, conviction. I, I, where the passion come from is probably linked to the <clears throat> to the facts. You know, like it's well, what's the truth and the the story that we're getting told? And I think, you know, I did, like I was always probably had a knack to tell stories, right? Um, but when you're sitting in front of a client or you have a boss who's like the the owner of an accounting firm, you you gotta have your facts right. You know, because you could you could have an array of numbers ready in your head. You could have a you know a management pack or a management report or a set of financial statements or even a tax computation, but if you're not ready to talk facts, you're gonna look a bit silly. Did you get drilled down a few times in your early days? Yeah, I'd say drilled down, broken down, <laughs> um, <laughs> left the, in tears, to, uh, probably to the point of nearly wanting to quit. Sometimes yeah. you know, like I had a very disciplined, um, very high achieving partner who was high achieving in business but also in sport. You know, like he played um, Gaelic football for Dublin, which is one of the, the highest accolades that you can get in Ireland. Um, and he was so disciplined in his life. But the discipline came out and, well, what's the, what are the facts? You know, and he said to me, Kev, like, you, you need to know this stuff. Like, you can't front up to a client and start telling them about their own business and then not be able to answer questions about it. You know, so that first year to 18 months of me getting to the point of just preparing the numbers came very quickly into well understand numbers and the preparation and the results are something that nearly comes out of it you know and that's when you, you start to really get a grasp on on business as well so when i talk about business owners learning their own business i think i was very fortunate to learn about metrics of very different businesses that we serviced you know and i think that's always been something that i've carried through my life even it when i moved into sales was well, where's the facts you know because sales is very much about you know trying to find a solution for people trying to you know tell a good story around what you can do and how you can help people but if the facts don't line up and you don't have factual content to help people you're not going to be successful hmm. and i think that always goes back to my accounting days like where's the proof in it and I, it, it's something i say to the team sometimes they'll, they'll come and ask for hey kev we need to invest this and i'll be like okay what, what facts do you have or what hmm. stories and what's the difference because some of it is storytelling and that we, we need part of that. And some of it is a, a bit of belief and backing yourself that you have a sense of that's where we should invest or this is something we should do. Well, what's the facts underlying and maybe what, you know, is it 90% good feeling and 10% facts or is it the other way around? So getting to those decisions is, mm. is really important. Yeah. Can you share some insights on that? Because I imagine this is something all growing businesses face mm. is that especially as a founder or part of the C-suite of a business is that you are faced with a lot of people coming to you now. If, if you have a platform of any sort and you've got value, people are going to come to you and say, let's invest in this or I have this idea or can we get this tool? It's only, you know, like several thousand dollars, but it can create all this kind of value for us, right? So we're always, you know, I think the challenge for us as founders is we're constantly having to do this sort of mental math and we're not actually really, really good at it because we don't have access to the right facts or so on. So how do you deal with all that? Because you must get that all the time. People would come to you and say, Jonah, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. You know, to what Kevin says is, what's the sort of discipline? Because you're having to make lots and lots of decisions. That's quite tiring for a founder, right? 
Um, yeah, so I guess like uh, how we do it is we build a financial model. Yeah, okay. it, it sounds like uh, bombastic, but like actually what it really is is... Uh, <laughs> I've not heard that word yeah, in a while. Yeah, it's yeah, good. <laughs> Bringing it back. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's, like, it's, like a, it's a whole series of like, you know, multiplications, <laughs> divisions, you know, additions and subtractions. Right? That's all it is. Yeah. Right? And understanding like... Um, I guess what is driving our business. So what is the hypothesis, right? And what is the final outcome, uh, which is like a dollar value? For example, uh, so we're standing in a cafe, right? Like if I were to ask person A, hey, like uh, if you were to guess right, or estimate the revenue of like this cafe, he might say, oh, how would you do it, right? He might say, okay, like um, maybe there are like 100 people that are walking past the door, right? And assuming I can get 10% of them, right? And they pay me five bucks for coffee, and, you know, I have like eight working hours a day. You know, that, that is my guesstimate, right? Okay. And then you go to person B and say, hey, no, like uh, I have like a three baristas, right? And they can produce a maximum of this and this, right? I have peak hours, I have off-peak hours. And yeah, if I work them to death, right, this is the maximum I can earn and that is my estimate. So neither one is more correct than the other, mm. right? But one uh, to a cafe owner is more correct. Right. So uh, the, the business assumption is very important. So the question that I face every day, right, is like, hey, I have to pick a model, right? Is it like um, a model A or model B? Mm -hmm. And if I assume that it's model A, then my entire focus becomes yeah. increasing the number of people that walk past my door, right? And I need to get more people in. So maybe like, I don't know, more blinks at the school bar or uh, something like that. But if, right, right. Yeah, but if it's the latter, I need more stuff. So is the model a hypothesis in itself that you're, you, right. is it clearly set out for you? Or are you learning it and saying, look, if we go with this model, what you're saying is this is the lever, the lever we have to pull or exactly. the button we push that creates more... Yeah. Valuable cash, more yep. profit, right? So we hypothesize it and then um, we, we call it a sanity check, right? Mm, so right. speak to uh, practitioners. So in our industry, and we're in kind of the moving services industry, yeah. is it like, hey, like, um, like partner A, right? Does this make sense to you? Is this number out of whack? Right. Okay. And then they would give you a very bottom-up perspective of it, and yeah. then we bring it to the investor. Hey, Mister Investor, right? Um, based on your sizing of the entire market in Singapore, right? And assuming we can get like four percent of this market in two years, right? Does this number make sense to you? Right. So um, there is an area where it overlaps, and that's probably where the truth lies. Yeah, because maybe the investor is too mm. bullish. Maybe you know, like the 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 movers with the trucks are too bearish, right? Yeah, mm. but th there is like an area whereby the truth should lie. So yeah, we call that a sanity check, but it all comes from the hypothesis. Mm. Yeah. So if I don't know, I think to be a, a responsible business owner, you have to have a hypothesis, right? And you have to know what this is worth to you and your time. Yeah, and if the numbers don't check out from day one, yeah, it's probably an action you don't want to take anyways. Yeah, and it's hard, isn't it? Because if you if you get some truths and that, the decision could be no. Exactly. Right. And, and then it comes back to, well, the emotion that you're involved in is that you are the owner of the business and you're, you're the owner of this and you've made the decision to go out and grow a business and then somebody's like, actually, this doesn't make sense. Hmm. But people's passion probably go past that. And that's, that's where there's a bit of risk taken because it's like, well, I believe in it. I'm going to back myself and do it. Um, and I've seen that happen a lot. And, and generally, people will be successful. But there's also a point where if, they, if they're starting to fail, they may be like, oh, I knew this was going to come. So maybe I would, I would maybe, maybe like we a, should call that the boombastic <laughs> box. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Optimism, I always feel like... How do I get one of those? Yeah, yeah. That's like, I want to know. Yeah. And it's what like do I do with it? <laughs> it's possible, but it's not probable. So like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah but you know, okay. like as yeah, entrepreneurs, we always believe in the possible. Right. right. But it's a tool to make mm. an informed decision, even if you were then to say, well, 
you know, let's go with the gut instinct on this. You have seen the numbers, right? It's not like you mm. can make that without seeing the numbers because you're making an informed decision on something else, like you say, the optimism and so on, right? Right, yeah. So just some of, it, some of it is like, as you said, like adding one staff. Yeah. You know, like that's a, that's a, can be a massive decision for a, a small business at the start, you know, and, and maybe they don't recognize the amount of time that they're going to have to spend with that person. Like they kind of, it's a numerical calculation to say, well, this is the cost of salary, CPF, return on investment, expected growth and sales costs, and, and trying to piece that together. But well, what about all the other things? What if they, what if they are a little bit kind of slow to grasp the business and hit their straps and really get going? Can you, can you afford that? Mm. You know, like, and that's the, probably where that comes into that box as well. And it's like, well, what do we do from here? You know? Hmm. Mm. Boombastic box. Yeah, is that? <laughs> I think I think we've I think we've coined that. I think we've. I think I think, I think, the, show, I think the show owns it. Yeah, <laughs> you heard it here first. I think people listening will want to know how they can do that. Yeah, is there is there sort of an easy step? Obviously, you've got years of experience of actually building this. If I was a, a small business owner listening and thinking, okay, first step, where do I start? How do I create that boombastic box? Mm. That model. Is there a simple discipline? I actually think it's it's really it's it's not difficult at all, especially with like uh, the tools of today. It was a lot more difficult in the past, whereby you know like bookkeeping was actually involved a book, right? Yeah. And yeah, whereas <laughs> now like you know you have, you have data, right? So it's it's heavier on the setup book, but once you set it up correctly, right, the maintenance and you know, it's just checking your account. Uh, it's not the bank account, right? It's checking your your numbers every day, given that it all already tells you a story that you want to understand. Yeah, so it's heavy on the setup. So I think like Kevin shared, maybe work with an accountant or work with a consultant, like set it up properly. And then, yeah, the maintenance is, 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 is really not so much a thing. I want to find out from Kevin and Jonah what their thoughts are for the future. So looking out over the Singapore skyline, we can see the real icons of the old world of corporates so everybody from insurance companies to banks but what does it mean for small business owners in this environment and how is that landscape changing is it becoming more acceptable here in singapore to become a startup founder so kevin and jonah share these insights insights into what it means in the ecosystem but also what it means for the future of talent So uh, we've had a tour of the Zero offices here on Cross Street, and now we are checking out the view, a very beautiful view. And we're in the heart of Singapore here. Mm. We see all the office tall skyscrapers. You've got Prudential, Morgan Stanley, OCBC, UOB, Singtel, all the names are here. We're right in the heart of it. This has all changed a lot as well. Singapore has changed so fast. I was talking to the taxi driver on the way in. Like he was telling me about how the landscape has changed even in the last five, 10 years. And he was saying like on Orchard Road, he said there used to be a canal. Yeah. And well, yeah, exactly. I on Orchard Road. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. So he was telling me about where it all was and so on. So this is a, a landscape of vast change. I mean, obviously we're right in the middle of the startup ecosystem as well, even though we've got all these giants of finance here. Let's talk about where this goes from here with Singapore. So you're Singaporean born and bred, yeah. but you were educated abroad as well. Uh, so yeah. you did a bit in the America. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what's changing here now? And what's definitely interesting in terms of what you're seeing in business? Because you, you mm. touch everything in the startup ecosystem, FNB. Right. 
blockchain, everything. <laughs> so it's all in there. Right. Yeah, uh, what are you saying? I guess like, uh, mm, yeah, I've had the, I guess the privilege of like uh, studying in Europe actually, yeah. and then studying in America. Um, I did my masters in China. Yeah, and then like I came back here. Um, I, I think what 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 is very starkly different would be like uh, I think the people have changed. Yeah, like if you compare like um, so, I, I was in studying in Boston. Okay, and then I studied in Shanghai, right? Yeah, and. When I went to Boston, it's like, wow, you know, like the pace is really cool and people are having fun and, you know, there's a fraternity, it's just like through the roof. You know, so everything was cool. And um, the difference uh, comparing Europe to like America would be that, I don't know, like two years later, Europe still looks and feels the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the infrastructure never really changes, right? It's yeah. still, I mean, it's, it's Baroque and mm. what have you. And then in America, it's a little bit different. You get new chains coming up, right? Ba- uh, I don't know, Baker Bros is coming up and yeah, yeah. A, a lot of like movement. And then you go to China, every year there's a new world's tallest building coming yeah. up in Shanghai. Yeah, so like, like and I, I was just wondering, like, hey, you know, why, why is this so different, right? And I, I think because the physical environment changes so much, yeah. people never expect that next year is going to be the same, mm. right? It, it's, it's just physically, it's, it's happening around you, right? It's impossible to not, not see it. Yeah, so if you look at Singapore, I think like... Uh, Especially within the CBD, like uh, yeah, it it is a manifestation of like the progressive, I guess like mindset, yeah. That um, people in Southeast Asia, uh, especially Singapore, is like a, a melting pot for a lot of uh, um, different nationalities. Like is right, we we don't expect it's going to be the same, and therefore like we do things mm. that kind of like uh, it's like self fulfilling, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I think especially because of like. Uh, um, the whole startup ecosystem, we have good investors coming and then the whole notion whereby a lot of things can be done from, a, from yeah. the cloud in a very efficient way. Yeah, uh, people just don't expect like things to be the same anymore. Yeah, if you look at like my, my, my peers or the people, um, my colleagues who work with the fresh graduates, yeah, in the past, we all work for the big boys, right? Mm. It's just like, yeah. All it, these guys. All yeah. these guys, yeah. exactly, yeah. right? One of these guys would be, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're done, right? You're socially accepted. So, yeah, but now, like, yeah, people say that, hey, you know, like, if I, if I want to be cool, I have to drop out of school. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's like, yeah, like, you know, graduating from Harvard is not a thing, right? Uh, yeah. The real successes are those that don't. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I just think, like, it's changed, and, yeah, especially amongst the youth, like, uh, technology has made a lot of things possible. Right, uh, so much so that uh, the pace of change has, has accelerated, and yeah, physically a lot of things are manifesting. Like uh, the financial st- institutions are here, but here we are in mm. zero as well, right? Yeah, and you guys are a tech company, and you're right beside the big financial mm. institutions. So, yeah, the waves of change are definitely upon us. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we, myself and Graham, spoke about corporate dropouts before. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the you know the maybe over forties, um, in in that sense, you know, um. But I think, like, do you think there's a change coming where people are? You, you mentioned obviously not going to the bigger businesses or not going to certain schools. Like that's lost its importance. So people are, like, either you know maybe it's related to the two year, you know, NS. Like they're trying to catch up quicker, so they're willing to take a risk in a different area rather than okay, I must go to this business so then I can go to the next one. It's like actually, I'm going to do this now. Do you think that's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, uh, yeah, it encourages a uh, risk taking behavior. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Young people starting businesses, are they coming to you? Are you finding them here? Because you must have your finger on the pulse. Yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's pretty natural, right? Because the, the younger businesses and younger generation is cloud native. Yeah. So like even, I, I would love to be a fly in a wall if they were sitting with somebody who was selling desktop accounting. Like what would they think? Whereas I don't think they even get to that, that process. It's like, I'll just go online and find what I need. Right. 
you know, and that's where we live. And I think it's <clears throat> that's probably the the sweet spot at the moment for us. You know, picking up all those newer businesses, whether they're <clears throat> you know younger people starting up for the first time or people that are you know dropping out of corporates and saying actually I'm going to give this a go myself and go out on my own. Yeah, mm. good, fantastic. Well, we have had a good morning here in Zero's office, and thank you so much for Kevin for facilitating today and Jonah as well. It's great to meet you, and you're a very interesting character, I think, in the scene here, and you've got some <laughs> great stories to tell. I think maybe this is not the end. Yeah. This is chapter one. I know you've had many chapters in your life already, but yeah. this is chapter one of you in our world of podcasting as well and hopefully maybe you make another appearance on the Zero podcast yeah thank you I have many horror stories to share we love horror stories education education let's reframe that slightly let's not put those young people we're talking about off starting a business look he's smiling and laughing and doing very well that's the Loki that's the Loki coming out it is the mystery you have got that mysterious twinkle in your eye but I think that's great that we need more people like you so we need to hear your story so Kevin, thank you very much. We're signing off. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Zero On Air. My name is Graham Brown. We were talking today to Kevin Fitzgerald and Jun Shan, Jonah Lee from Movers. We were talking about financial discipline and how you can implement simple reporting to lick some shape into your small to medium-sized business. So if you want to get started, head over to zero.com. It's easy to set up reports. It's easy to start working with the dashboard. And if you need a bit of help, then the Zero community is there as well. So there's a lot of support available out there, both from the Zero people and the community of fans who have been through it all before. My name's Graham Brown. We'll be back for more Zero on Air and beautiful business soon. Check out Zero.com. <laughs> <laughs>